Next Chapter Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, my God. Could you imagine hearing this for the first time in 1978 and being like, who the fuck is Von Halan? It's Van Halen. The song's Eruption. It's off their self-titled debut record from 1978. It's also number 415 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. And that is me. I am the King Kadoogle. You are in the Fleece Army. What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Man, what a wang zuki of a record. It really was the first time I've ever listened to a Van Halen record from start to finish. Which is crazy because, you know, I was, I'm, I love music and I'm a, you know, I just, it was never in front of me. I never had that fan that was a huge Van Halen fan. You know what? It was weird because for so long, the only Van Halen song I really, really knew was the one that's like, right now, hey, it's your tomorrow. My guest this week is a true Van Halen through and through fan cadoodle, the one and only Patrick Wilson, not the actor, the drummer from Weezer. One of my favorite bands. They have an album on here, I'm not mistaken. They have the blue record on here. Great band, great dude. That's the cool thing about Patrick is that I don't think he's seen him run around drum sets in the undone sweater video. I was so excited to talk to this guy and man, it's just like, it's so much fun when not only are they a huge fan, but they just get it. And you know, we're we're recording this in our respective homes, but we just get the connection, bro. Also, the internet dropped out probably 19 times while we were trying to do this, but it's such a fun record. You guys are gonna dig it. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. I don't care how you're listening to it right now. If it's not on Spotify, you're not helping us. Listen on Spotify. Come on, people. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow our Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam. That's me. And we've got a fan page, The 500 Podcast fan page, run by Evan, who's insane. And for all things 500, Go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but should I do it like, like I should <laughs> I should do it like David Lee Roth, right? <laughs> All right, here we go with number 415. That sounds nothing like <laughs> David Lee Roth. Guys, number 415, Van Halen by Van Halen. are a simple Patrick, Patrick Wilson, Patrick Wilson and a Patrick Wilson. I'm proud of that one. That was not the easiest singing the name and trying to remember the lyrics and cadence because I don't think anybody can match DLR. Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave. It, it, it still blows my mind that he's Jewish. I love it. <laughs> I love it knowing that he could come to my Passover Seder anytime. So you have a long history with the band Van Halen. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. I'm, uh, I'm 51, so as a wee lad, I got Van Halen 1 because my cousin was seven years older than me, and he would just dump records on me. I was like eight, maybe seven years old when that record came out, Van Halen 1. And uh, it was a record. So, you know, you had to put a needle on the record and all that. And I mean, that's that music's been with me my whole life. It's crazy. So what drew you to it? I mean, besides just being eight years old and seeing Diamond Dave and seeing Van Halen and everything about 
the band. I mean, because it's like at eight for me was a year I found Guns N' Roses and I was just like, that's the coolest thing in the world. Just just how badass they were. So so what drew you to them? What, what were the things that really made you connect with them at such a young age? I mean, you don't know anything at all when you're that young, but... There, I got to believe that there's something in the core of it, like with your Guns N' Roses, it's just badass. It's self-evident. And you're like, oh, this sounds cool. This is cool. I loved Running With The Devil. Like to me, that, that song was the jam. And it's bizarre because it's yeah. so slow, but it's so groovy at the same time. Like it's, it's it sex is, rock, dude. dude. Like what's even <laughs> happening? They're running. <laughs> They're with the devil. Beelzebub. Yeah. Lucifer. Oh, and, and he says, uh, Mike Pence. They're with Mike Pence. <laughs> he says, <laughs> They are running. He says, I found the simple life. And I thought for my whole, for like decades, I thought he said, It's so simple. And I, I kept waiting, like, Well, what is the simple life that is so simple? Tell me. I want to know. But I had nothing. Obviously, it's, it's probably just, you know, party and, and leg kicks and, you know, spandex and, Blonde hairy calisthenics, chest. yeah. Anyway, blonde hairy chest and calisthenics. That's the name of my next comedy record, bro. <laughs> so I, but so like, so I. Right, so you're eight years old. You're finding out about Van Halen. How how did that grow over the years? Because now you're 51. So obviously, I mean, is this one of your favorite bands, albums? Like, tell me, like, where it's gone? Like, have you seen them live? Or? I met Ed. Uh, he came to uh, our show. We played the Forum. And he, his son Wolfie is a is a big fan, so they they came in. I didn't meet Wolfie, but I met Ed, and I gushed all over him, and I felt like a dickhead afterwards. I was like, "Dude, you're the best!" And like, he's all, "Yeah, that's I hear that a lot," you know. Like, <laughs> so I felt I I ruined that. So. I have that to live with. That's not that bad. I mean, dude, I've I've embarrassed myself so many times with celebrities that I love. I saw Beck. When I was I was on a I was on a date at the corner of Franklin and Bronson and Beck and his family walked by and it's like I've seen him live so many times and I just was like, Oh my god, I love you so much. I've seen you live about eighteen times. My favorite show was when I saw you at Santa Cruz and you just had the guitarist, you and the drummer. Oh my god, it was the most amazing thing. Can I get a picture? And he was just like, No. And I was like, Okay, yeah, I approached that totally wrong. That was I could see why I scared you. Yeah, there. he he doesn't seem like he'd be super pressing the flesh on Franklin and Bronson. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he was dressed like, you know, an Amish farmer. <laughs> uh, and he had like, you know, he had like Giovanni Ribisi and all the other Ribisi's. So I, so eight, so how, what year is, is, is you being, it's like 77 like, dude. Like, seven, yeah, like so 77, yeah. 78 yeah. when this is coming yeah. out. Okay. So like, tell me like, what were you listening to prior and how did this ever, did everything change once Van Halen got into your life? Oh yeah, pretty much. I mean, this was Western New York, like Buffalo seventies, malaise, blue collar, tricky culture, like, but like I just said, he gave me that album and I would just listen to it over and over. I'd flip it back and forth. Like I liked all the songs on it. I especially thought Eruption was great because I, I was like, what What are these sounds from another universe? Like, what the fuck is this? Like, But like when you're little, when you're little, you just fucking... Something like that can just take over your whole... How you even look at the world. Like my kid is four and all he wants to talk about is fucking Zelda. Love Zelda. We played the Legend the of video game. Yeah, he played Le- the, on Nintendo. Or the sister from Pet Cemetery that has like <laughs> spina bifida and is like in the bedroom, like you know. Ah! Remember that Zelda? <laughs> that's dark. That's dark. <laughs> that's dude. a dark. If anybody's never all the all the Kadoogles out there, if you've never seen Pet Cemetery and Zelda, go ahead and watch it and enjoy the nightmares I just yeah. gave you. No, but so he's obsessed with Zelda. But like, as you're so, when you're a little kid, I think you just throw yourself into things because you know what you know everything's new and everything's fun and you're excited about shit and you know for me that was that was the first record that i i was like obsessed with so you know latchkey kid just hanging out listening to music all day looking back now i really i realize that i'm weird and different and i love music more than most people uh to the point where I can't understand why you wouldn't like something that I like. Cause can't you fucking hear what's going on here? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I'm and, like uh, <laughs> and they're like, no, I, I really can't, I can't hear that. But 
and it just spiraled out of control. I had a couple friends that had drum kits and uh, we all loved Van Halen. By the time I got to high school, that was my first concert, uh, 1984 with David Lee Roth. Where at? With the, uh, in bu- in bu- Buffalo? Yeah, bu- Buffalo Memorial Auditorium, no longer there. It's where the Sabres played. It sounded awful. I remember being confused, like, this sounds terrible. What's going on here? It doesn't sound like my record. And I wish I could go back and, and see it because I probably would love it now. Like, wow, oh, look I at bet. these fucking yeah. guys. They're out of their minds. They're fucking ripped to the tits no on rock coke. stars like... There are no, there are not many rock stars that are like David Lee Roth. I, you know what? I'm gonna take that back. There is no one like David Lee Roth in the early '80s. Well, hold on though. Let, let's tie it into to you know the devil and the six 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 and all that super religious household I came up in, and like born again, like like don't play Zeppelin backwards. Like to this day, fucking Stairway to Heaven. When I hear that line about the May Queen, I'm like, uh, can't get rid of it. I don't know. It's fucking awful. But so Van Halen running with the devil. This is a great story. My sister is way older than me. She's like 68. And one of my earliest memories is she comes in my room. I'm playing running with the devil. She goes, what's the name of that song? I said, running with the devil. She's like, hmm, and runs out. <laughs> <laughs> Because she was super offended as like she was like 19 and like super Christian-y at the time. Like, what a great story. I was like, come on, it's just it's Diamond Dave. I mean, there had to have been some pushback on Van Halen at the time because of a song called Running with the Devil. I mean, I I can only imagine. Remember those days people would would protest about like Tipper Gore, dude. Remember Tipper Gore? Gore? You couldn't you couldn't cuss? Yeah. She got mad at two live crew. I mean, that was the whole crew, all of them, not even just Luke. She got she all the crew, even backdoor she was, little she Joe, had Motley Crew, and Two Live. But yeah, I, I just you know I could only imagine because I'm I wasn't born until '79, and so I didn't get I wouldn't say I got watered down Van Halen, but like I I just oh yeah you missed it you missed you missed the peak I missed it but I, yeah I not only missed the peak but it's just by the time I was really really getting into music they had already broke up. And it's moving on to the to the Hagar, you know, what do they call it? Sam, the the Van Hagar. Yeah, which th- so, that first record is pretty dope. I mean, I'm giving it, I'm giving it a thumbs up. But it, but I don't think it compares at all. Yeah, it's different. To the, it's different. The, the gravitas yeah. that is this record and is Diamond Dave and Eddie Van Halen and Alex and uh, the bassist for some reason I can't think of his fucking name. Michael Anthony, man. Thank you, Jesus. One of my favorite clips that my friend Angelo used to show me was there's like an eight minute bass solo of him drunk like running around they're playing this huge stadium and he's got like a whiskey bottle bass the Jack Daniels bass and it is I mean he's not even playing music it is I mean think 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 about it man it's like it's the late 70s here's here everything's disco or fucking Elvis Costello you know like just new wavy shit and here comes like this boogie woogie bar band from Southern California and then two songs in Hold on, guys. It's the bass solo. Like, <laughs> that's fucking rad. It's fucking rad. But it's, and and he's wasted. Not just not just drunk. Wasted. Yeah, they 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 were legit in that fashion for sure. So how has Van Halen gone in to influence your music? Like now, like take me take me to where we are now with Van Halen and you. Like, cause I cause I saw that. Like Weezer is putting out Van Weezer, which is inspired by all the 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 great hard rock bands, like more guitar uh, focused rock and roll. Yeah, other yeah, you know from what from what Weezer's done in the past. So so tell me how you guys got from you being eight to this. I mean, moving out to L.A., I just wanted to be in a band. It was all go go go, and I think that is similar to what I read about. Uh, about the Van Halen brothers growing up. I I read that book, Van Halen Rising. I I forget the author's name, but it's fantastic. And there was this drive, dude. They were just like, there's no plan B. There's no fucking plan B. That's how I felt moving to LA. I was like, what do you mean if this doesn't work? What do you... No, I'm staying here. We're doing this. Yeah. Lucky as motherfucker, but... uh, I think they were the same way. They were they they played for like six years to nobody in L.A. in the seventies, and then, boom! It just it just hit. You know, I, I love that story. 
So they're the children of a Dutch jazz musician father. They're classically trained to play piano as young children before moving on to drums and guitar. Alex picked up the guitar first, and eventually Eddie decided on drums. However, after hearing Alex play drums, Eddie switched to guitar, and the brothers found their instruments. Eddie would obsessively keep his guitar strapped on throughout the day while practicing. And I think it shows. Yeah. I really do think it shows. I, I feel like, they, you know, seeing Eddie Van Halen without the guitar on, it just feels nah, weird. weird. You know nah, what I mean? That's not right. Um, so in 64, they formed a band called the Broken Combs in elementary school, played backyard parties, and then changed the name to, this is a terrible name, they changed the name to the Trojan Rubber Company. <laughs> I think, was that, they may yeah. have been taken at that time. I think so, yeah, because, you know, there's a pretty big uh, prophylactic company called Trojan. <laughs> Uh, Rubbers. They tried to change it to uh, the Lambskin Company. Right. I'm just kidding. All right. So, but by '72, the brothers with Eddie's singing lead formed a power trio with bassist Mark Stone called Genesis and the Mammoth in Pasadena. So they're they're hanging out in Pasadena. Yeah, this is all in Pasadena. This is yeah. all in Pasadena. Uh, California, for the people that have no idea where Pasadena is. They come up with this other, another local group called the Red Ball Jets as a lead singer who owned a PA system that Mammoth would rent. Although this hyperactive lead singer had unsuccessfully auditioned for Mammoth, they eventually asked him and his PA to join the band. Yeah. I love that because I... I, I mean, we, Necessity. we. I was in a band when I was younger, and we we just needed a bass player, and we knew somebody that played bass, and we were like, "You're in." And then when one of my other friends got better at bass, we were like, "All right, that dude's out." Ben Allen plays bass That's now, right. and of course, we're talking about David Lee Roth, who's born in Bloomington, Indiana, moved to Pasadena in his teens. Uh, well to do, very well to do, very well to do. But the thing that I love about David Lee Roth is that he is a throwback. To the showbiz performers of the Borscht Belt. Oh, dude. He's like vaudeville, man. He's, yes. He's like. He, it's just everything about oh, him is, my baby. is on. Like, yes. Oh, God. Him doing uh, <laughs> I Ain't Got Nobody. Like, ah. But it's I fucking great. No. It is incredible. <laughs> um, so by 74, they replaced Mark Stone with a lead singing bass player from Snake, another local band who had lent them a PA, originally from Chicago, Michael Anthony Sobolowski. Sobo... Oh, fuck. Sobolowski. Right. Yeah, gotta be Close Polish. Enough. Just, you know, something like that. A lot of consonants. And he met uh, those brothers at Pasadena City College. After finding out their ba- that the other band names were taken that they were trying to use, uh, Roth... It was his idea to change the band name to Van Halen. Uh, Van Halen played all over Los Angeles, including regular residencies at Myron's Ballroom in downtown L.A., Gazaria's on the Sunset Strip, and the Starwood on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was at the Starwood in 76 that local legend Rodney Bingenheimer brought Gene Simmons from Kiss to see them. Gene, with possibly secret designs to recruit Eddie for Kiss, signed the band to his production company and took them to New York to produce a demo for them to find a record deal. Gene played the demo to his band and management who didn't think much of it. So before leaving for another kiss tour, he tore up their contract to set them free and promised to help them find a record deal. When he got home, they were seen shortly by a Warner brothers records exec, Mo Austin and Ted Templeton who did get them. Actually, Ted really got Eddie, who was already an electrifying guitar god that was so innovative that he would sometimes play with his back to the audience so people couldn't copy his techniques. Ted. <laughs> like, he's like, he's I like, love that. Hey, did you, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Right. Yeah, yeah, dude. He's like, he's like, he's like, this is my, he's like, I'm going to play this with my tongue. Don't look. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. 
in our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes. We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Um, Ted wasn't so sure about David Lee Roth, who despite his captivating stage presence and airborne gymnastics, didn't have the vocal chops or range by comparison. We're going to prove them that wrong in a moment. Nonetheless, Templeton brought them in the studio, uh, first to record demos, then to make the debut. He wasn't sure about Ross' voice, but Dave's unique train whistle screams, deceptive depth, sense of humor, and showmanship made Ted work with what he had. And Ted, completely blown away with Eddie uh, and his home-built pedal board and modified guitars and amps that helped him achieve his unique and soon-to-be celebrated brown tone. Do you know about the brown tone? I, I know about the brown tone. I don't know about the brown tone. What is the brown tone? He's got, I mean, people call it the brown sound. It's it's just kind of like, um, it's, I could explain it technically. It's just kind of like you roll the lows off, you roll the highs off a little bit. It's that good stuff in the mid range. Uh, it's like a woody sound, you know, like you can really hear his fingers. Like it's hard to explain, but it's, it, that's the way he hears it. He hears it. Uh, I don't know. He just calls it brown. I think. I think he thinks of it in terms of like, like, uh, like an old amp that's just been sitting around. It's all dusty, and you, you just dime it and turn it up all the way, and it just has this feeling, you know, like, a, like almost like a harmonica or something into a into a into an amp, like old blues shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. All right, so. Most of the record was cut live, and they tried to capture the energy, uh, but they put together extra time for Roth uh, to work on his vocals after the band left. The plan was to lean into Eddie's strengths to outshine Dave's limitations, and with the brothers' well-rehearsed tightness, Michael's solid bass note choices in playing, and Eddie and Michael's incredible backup harmonies, there were enough pop sensibilities to stand out from the other metal bands. But most of Warner Brothers, this is where it gets crazy, most of Warner Brothers records didn't care that much about them. Fortunately, Ted Templeton was also the vice president and worked his ass off to help promote, get them on great tours, and pump money and influence into getting them on the radio and their record into stores. And it paid off because with all the music that was going on in that day, like the watered-down disco and the underground uh, bubbling up with sloppy and loose punk, Van Halen's debut arrived to save rock and roll from soulless synthesizers with virtuoso playing and much, much needed sex appeal. It went to number 19 on the charts, spawned four singles, sold a million copies by the year's end, and proved that hard rock and heavy metal were still alive. To date, this album has gone on to sell over 12 million copies and would be the last of their albums not to break into the top 10. Unfortunately, David was out by 1985, replaced by Sammy Hagar, uh, and then eventually uh, he was replaced by Gary Sharon from uh, Extreme. And then eventually, Michael Anthony was replaced with uh, Eddie and Valerie Bertinelli's son, Wolfgang, who we talked about. Uh, they've gotten together a few times, uh, Dave and Sammy. Um, I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but uh, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2007. And that gets us all the way up to this record. And in my opinion, Patrick, because this, and, I, and I'm not saying this uh, in, in a positive light, this was my first time ever really digging in to a full Van Halen record. I've heard tracks. I knew I knew a lot of these songs, but never yeah. like from start to finish listen to them. And I think there is something very cool about Van Halen, especially when you look at the other music that was popular in 78, because I don't think there was anything like this, you know? Yeah. 
like Morty wrote, disco, punk, that's yeah. what's popular. Elvis Costello and, then you have and shit. Elvis Costello, who is great, but there is something so amazing about this band because I feel like they got the perfect voice with the perfect guitar, and I couldn't imagine just how big the fever that swept across the music world when this came out. It's just fucking bold music. Uh, the uh, like Michael Anthony, he he kind of holds it together with like him and him and Ed's background vocals. He sings like a motherfucking bird, dude. And and the way the brothers groove together, like no one recognizes this shit, but they have a feel. Like this music has a feel to it. And it's it's got like a swing, and they learned that from their dad because their dad would they would just sit around. From what I understand from reading that book, they would just drink fucking malt liquor all day and just get plowed. And their dad would be like, "I'm not playing. You guys aren't swinging. That's it. I'm out of here." And he would just bail. So like that's how they learned how to swing. Like who's playing boogie woogie shuffles like that with like a fucking Marshall set on stun? It's amazing. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. But I think I think that is what gets you to be such an incredible uh, guitarist and drummer when you have a parent that is like, you know, they probably, I mean, I didn't read the book, but I mean, were they like uh, trying to get the love of their dad? And so it like, uh, you know what I, I mean? I think it was more they're just obsessed and, and their dad, their parents encouraged them, their musicality. Like they start, they both started on piano. So they had a strong foundation, you know? And um, I mean, the, the whole band is insane because of the weird, the, it's just the most unlikely combination of what the hell is even happening right now especially with diamond dave i think because he really is this otherworldly guy who just is he's a they're they're all like a force of nature together i can't even how do we even explain it i can't even i don't even know like you could tell when they played they were they were stoked they were probably coked at the tits but and just hammered but they were really excited to play and they were able to project that to the audience and the audience can feel that, you know, but I don't know, man, Weezer, Weezer, like, I, I think Weezer is kind of like Van Halen in that weird way in that you couldn't like put it on paper and say, this is going to be a surefire hit. Like we got this guys, like record company people, the same thing with us. They didn't, they were like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not hearing it. And lucky for us, uh, Todd Sullivan and Tony Berg, over at Geffen, we're like, yeah, this they got good tunes. Let's hear this shit. Same thing. And then, like, they, I think even they were surprised when the Blue Album did so well, you know? So it's kind of similar in, in a way, like, a bunch of weirdos just who love music and are going to do their own thing. And the, the, uh, the world agreed. I love that. I love that, Patrick. I love That's it, too. <laughs> well, you've made a, you made a career out of it, so fuck it. But yeah, I dude. love... I love that it's not supposed to work and it works and, and, and it works in spite of the experts in the business saying, ah, it's bullshit. Like Frank Zappa always talks about it. He's like, back in the day, that's why you had all these weird records in the sixties because the guys who ran the business then were like, what the hell is this? I don't know. Is it any good? And they're like, I don't know. Put it out. Let's find out. Like they just were like, fuck it. There's no fuck it anymore. No, not at all. It's not focus all. group. I to love that you're saying dad. fuck it. I love that you're saying fuck it, dude. At 51, finally you're saying fuck it. <laughs> I've finally figured it out. But you're coke to the tits. <laughs> That's you're coke to the tits. That's I swear to God that. I, can I tell you something? I've never done coke. What to the to the knees? Or? I've never I've never even seen cocaine. You've never seen coke? I mean, take my rock star car away, but I don't. Nah, dude. That's why you're. That's why you're 51 and still doing it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's the God's honest truth. All right. So it opens with "Running with the Devil," the song that scared the shit out of your Christian sister, which is a great band name, by the way, Christian sister. Dude, her time has come. Her time has come. All right, so I say this a lot on the show, but I feel like this song is another example of how you introduce yourself to the world, just with a song like this. Uh, Peter, play a little taste of Running With The Devil. I found the simple life, it's so simple, when I jumped out. 
It's fucking grooving, dude. It is fucking grooving. So, all right. So this this was inspired by the Ohio Players' 1974 funk song "Running from the Devil." Uh, and this is the second single, and this is not about Satanism. This is about youthful freedom and living for the moment. Can we just say, <laughs> do you think these people are smart enough to, like, do backwards lyrics that say, like, Satan is king? Like, come on. there's The Satanism thing from my childhood is so dumb to me. But, like, the entire yeah. industry of, like, these are kids in Satan's snare. Like, come on, man. Yeah. People are afraid of the devil. They need to be afraid of the 1%, bro, because they <laughs> are controlling all of this. It's the 0.01%. Is it really? That's what I heard. I like, to, I like, to, I like a full percentage. I want a full <laughs> one. I want a 1%. So the sound in the intro are the band's car horns, which were removed, mounted in a box controlled by a foot switch, and then slowed down. Uh, Peter, do you have a little taste of that? That's pretty badass, dude. I, I think they ran it through, like, from what I understand, like a, an Echoplex something like that like a that's an an uh, an uh, like an echo pedal and you just slowly change the time and it and it makes it pitch down it's fantastic so so speaking of cars though what did you learn from the late great Rick Okasek who produced the blue record and then two after that well i learned that he's a, he was a sweet man and he was super dry and lovey and he had just such a wickedly dry sense of humor uh, and he, like, if you heard our demos going into that record and then you heard that record, I'm sure it was kind of similar to what was going on with Van Halen. Like I, I hear the outtakes or the alternate vocal takes of running with the devil. And I'm like, Whoa, that's, that needs to be tightened up. Like Ted Templeman really kind of, he earned it. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he made it right. Because he saw it and it was there. I think Rick was kind of similar. Like he's like, these guys have some tight tunes. You know, like Rivers is writing really tight tunes and it's power pop and like let's just let's just, you know, make it tight. Yeah. Speaking, you said something a second ago about about David's vocals. So we actually have and it's pretty popular online. Yeah. We actually have his isolated vocal track. <laughs> uh Peter, play a little bit of that. This is this is just him. This is not a porno. Got no love, no love you'd call real. Got nobody waiting at home. Got no, he's got no one at home. I mean, that is just like when you take away the 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 crunch of it, and you just get to hear that. You're like, yeah, he's not like you know, he's not he's not Freddie Mercury, but dude, does he have probably just as much like. Ha! To get it out, like you saying, they seem like guys having fun. Like you can hear that. Do you have any more, Peter? Do you have? Do you have where he's like just making like orgasm noises? Play that. <laughs> what the fuck? Wait, you threw that in there? That can't be. In no, there. it's in there. It's All one right, of those that's... weirdo. You blow on it. Oh my god, I wasn't expecting that. I told Peter I was he she sent me the clip and I was like, dude, I was like, just pull out the best parts. Pull out orgasm noises and a good singing style. And I had no idea he was he was he sent in in the middle of the recording, he was also a bar mitzvah DJ, you know, and he broke some glow sticks and was like, <laughs> like good for him. Good for him. You know, he had a backup plan. Patrick, you didn't have a backup plan. David Lee Roth could have been an incredible bar mitzvah <laughs> it's DJ. It's true. It's true. All right, now. To the song that blows your mind, my mind, probably all the Fleece Army's mind, Eruption. This is one of the greatest and most memorable rock guitar solos ever. And the cool thing about it is this happened by accident. Producer Ted Templeton overheard Eddie warming up with his practice piece and then told him he had to record it. Ten minutes later, he laid it down and made rock and roll history. Kick it, Peter! (laughs) 
The only word that describes that solo is Wang Zuki. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Wang okay. Chung. It's like, wow. Okay. Well, you know, that's copyrighted. Wang Zuki <laughs> is actually a, it's, if anybody's wondering what Wang Zuki is, it's a dessert over at this place called Big Wang's that I've taken and now used as like as a way to describe shit on the podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> like, it's, it's great, right? All right, so Eddie's tapping on the fretboard technique was inspired by Steve Hackett of Genesis, Harvey Mandel of Charlie Muscle White's band, and Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. Um, hearing that for the first time, and hearing it now as well, like, wh- like what feelings do you get from that? Does that take you back to eight-year-old uh, Patrick? No, it doesn't. And what's interesting about their music in general is I'm fucking stoked on it now. Like yeah. I'm, I love it as an adult and it's not because I'm being nostalgic. It's because it's inherently great. So you guys, uh, your early videos with Spike Jones were, were so instrumental in launching your career. And you also, I think have been maybe one of the last great MTV bands to first bridge into the internet viral video era. Did, did Weezer realize at the time how iconic uh, these moments in time would be no no i mean i knew something was weird when um geffen records was able to get a uh a video of of buddy holly onto the windows 95 install cd under in a folder called videos and that was like when like you know, Windows 95 was like such a big deal and, and like people started getting computers and like, you mean I can watch video on a computer? And they would click that and it was like a big deal. Takes three days to download it, but yes, you can. You can. <laughs> exactly. So that was weird. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. So it's so, it's so, so whose idea was it for the music video? You got it from the Windows 95. That was... No, well, Spike you know, did the video, and like that, the, the Windows part was just genius marketing i remember being mad at the time like this is outrageous they need to pay us for everyone they print like like <laughs> dumbass like <laughs> let the world see your stupid man it's great so but i want to ask you this like <laughs> did you because you're my favorite part of the buddy holly video well no not just that the undone video really because so of your run it's so dumb you you ran around the drums Whose idea was that? Was it directed? Because you're, you know, what what got you to start making the laps? Matt, Matt and I, I think, would get this bizarre kind of self consciousness and this weird awareness of how fucking weird everything was around us. Like we weren't ego maniacal. We were like, this is so weird, and we would just react. That was our our absurdity coming back at our at that situation, and I was just like I was just like, and plus I'm a fucking dumbass, you know. I'll just do stuff like that. So that's what happened. Um, it's so great, dude. Thank you, because it's it's still one of my the Buddy Holly video is one of my favorite music videos of all time. But I still can pinpoint the exact moment that I saw Undone the Sweater Song on MTV, and I was just like, dude, this is. 
Like this is just perfect. It was just it was perfect music for a high school kid. That's you cool. Know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Everything about it. Uh, but also, what I think is perfect about Eruption, because I got to bring it back to that, is I think the best part about Eruption is that it ends and goes right into "You Really Got Me." Well, that's a, just a Stoker moment. Like it fades out into nothing, and all of a sudden, here comes that riff. It's like, what? Peter, hit me with the riff. <laughs> So because of the lack of material they had, uh, they recorded a couple covers uh, that they've been playing live. This, their first single was uh, by the Kinks from 1964. It charted at number 36, got them a lot of radio airplay and set the stage for the success of the record. Honestly, though, I think the best part of the song, if not the album, and this is the comic in me, is when David Lee Roth has another orgasm. Peter, play 144, bro. Either uh, was having another orgasm, or he was having a really like like a nice sip of like a freshly opened Coca Cola. <laughs> so you're like, ah, ah. you ever do one of those? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think this version by Van Halen is better than the Kinks. Yeah, and I have a a thing about um, I have a weird thing about bands who cover songs because in some ways it's like. It just draws attention that probably the rest of your record isn't that happening as the, the one yeah. song you covered. But they're they're when they do it, they do it in their own way, and it it, it sounds great. So I, I I'm all for it, dude. You guys covered Toto's Africa. We sure did. Yeah, you did. You fucking killed it, bro. <laughs> fucking killed. You guys got any other uh, covers that that we don't know about? Well, that whole record is nothing but '80s covers. The Teal album. That's yeah. it. I said that we don't know about. Yeah. You're good at, that, at, at setting me up, and I'm I'm terrible at, at hitting those softballs. Following three, yeah, dude. I was like, <laughs> well, you know, you still the eight year old. That's still the eight year old. You have ADD. Like, you have ADHD. Candy. <laughs> All right, ain't talking about love. Not talking about love. There must have been a misconception, like, oh, you think I'm talking about love? No, no. I ain't. Ta- I ain't ain't talking about no. love. Um, I think the cool things about this song are are the arpeggiated intro. I love the lyrics. I feel like they're like sly. Uh, he's got these dynamic shifts in it, and uh, the gang vocal uh, "Hey Hey Hey"s at oh, the yeah. end uh, are just perfect, man. Peter, play the intro to this. <laughs> So this is this is Ted Templeton's favorite track he's ever worked on. Really? Yeah. I got to read his book. I hear his book is great. Um. So so how do you, any thoughts on this song? You talking about love? I I love I love everything about this record and this song because uh you can tell like it's all very simple. There's no there's not eight versions of guitar on there. It didn't it didn't have to get mixed by you know, the hot shit mixer of the day. It literally is like almost like a jazz record. Like, well, here's the mics. Here's what they sound like. You guys take it away. And it's so direct and fantastic. So being that this is Ted Templeton's favorite track that he's ever worked on, what is your favorite Weezer track of all time to play on when you guys do it live? Oh, man. I don't know. I really don't. I, uh, I'll i say something. I'll say... Today, God yeah. damn you have Japanese girls. I like playing that song. That sucks. Probably so my name is boss, Jonas. Man. My name is Jonas. All right, so I'm the one. Uh, I feel like this is a prototype uh, for Hot for Teacher. Fair enough. Feel yeah. As a, uh, yeah, so Peter, play a little bit. That that sounds like Hot for Teacher for me. Woo! You know what? I feel like the opening line is is basically well, this whole opening sentence is like the the mission statement for Van Halen. We came here to entertain you. Leaving here, we aggravate you. Don't you know it means the same, same to, to me, me, honey? 
No, for real. Like, I, I didn't even realize that until I've talked to you about it. It all seems to make sense now about Diamond Dave. Um, the one part I thought was really cool in this song is that it suddenly goes into this breakdown to, like, a jazzy doo-wop. Uh, Peter, play, play a little bit of it. You have it for me? I think this is what separates Van Halen from other metal bands. The, the fact that they're playing boogie woogie blues. <laughs> yeah, it's just in a hard rock record. It just I came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, and they and they pulled it off. That's the thing. Oh, they definitely pulled it off. So speaking about I'm I'm the one. When did you know that Rivers was the one? Oh, we had a band uh, called Fuzz. That it was a trio, and I really enjoyed like his whole thing. Like I love his guitar playing. Like Rivers is Rivers is probably my one of my he's top five favorite guitar players. He's such a good guitar player. And uh then he he came out of like the metal scene. Like he's a real shredder, dude. Like he can really do it. And he transitioned into songwriting. And it, you know, he keeps it at a very high level. So I, I just I was all about it. All right, uh, moving on to Jamie's crying. So this last single is about the title, Ladies' Regretful One Night Stand. Uh, this part right here might be my favorite part on the whole album. Peter, play 204. I mean, this is the epitome of sex rock. In my opinion, yeah, it just has a it has a it's a really it's sexy it's you know it's it's dark just the title. Girls don't like that anymore though. There's no there's no such thing as sex rock for for the ladies anymore. They don't like the rock. It's all bros now. Yeah, rock is you know before we were off when we before we started recording and we were talking about what happened to music and you were mentioning some of the music from like the late 90s like late late 90s right around the turn of the millennium <laughs> that just changed everything it got too broy it got too broy so is that why you, that's what you think killed rock yeah, and roll yeah it got too broy and angry but like like angry like who angry frat rock is not a good look for the ladies you know it's not but 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 speaking of of Weezer though, you guys in a sense kind of created you know this music movement uh, with emo with your second album Pinkerton. Did you guys have any idea that when you were making that record, like you were in a sense starting a genre of music? I mean, I thought we were ending a band. <laughs> I really? didn't think we were starting a genre. I mean, it, that was a tough time for Weezer, yeah. Like, like all, every band, it gets if they have a big debut and you know, shit gets weird because you're young and you're suddenly you're famous and all this shit, and then your egos, you're just trying to make sense of everything. But uh, no, I didn't know that. I will say this: when we played, we played the place called I think the Ranch Bowl in Oklahoma or some shit, super famous Midwest place place was packed and every kid knew the words to every Pinkerton song. And I remember going, Whoa, this stuff's not even on the radio. Like, why does everyone, why does everyone know this? These are deep cuts. Like, wow. So I don't know. Was there a moment that you really thought the band was about to end? I mean, this morning I thought we'll probably. Oh, come on. That's such a, what happened this morning? <laughs> no, I'm I say it because I'm paranoid about that ever happening. I've been paranoid since the beginning about that. I feel like at this point if it did end, you you guys have like you've done so much and you've 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 left your impact on the world of music, not just rock and roll, but music and and the world. I mean, what you guys have done is incredible, man. That's so, nice. Please thinking. don't break up. We're not going to break please up. Please don't break up. In fact, please honestly, don't. I really feel like we're uh on a, on our hitting our stride right now, we got a lot of songs really? coming out. Yeah, good. Yeah, thank God. And I'm super stoked about them too. Uh, also, one quick fact about uh, Jamie's crying: uh, Tone Loke sampled the song for his 1988 hit "Wild Thing." Do you have Peter? Do you have "Wild Thing"? 
All right, so that sounds exactly like you can definitely tell they just they took that sample. All right, um, so next you have like a stream of songs that I love, but uh, just I don't feel that we really need to talk about. There's Atomic Punk, which I do have to say I do think that Tom Morello uh, was super influenced by. Feel Your Love Tonight, uh, great song. Little Dreamer. One of my favorites. Melancholy. All right, so let's dive so let's dive to the final song on the record, On Fire. And in my opinion, I think this is Diamond Dave's manifesto. Cause he's coming at you and he's coming for you and he's on fire. Pleader play a little taste. <laughs> I mean that those these might be my favorite Diamond Dave noises and moments on the record. <laughs> <laughs> I I I've always hated this song. Why? I don't know. All my all the dudes who I hung out with that were like into Randy Rhodes and shit and like Ozzy and and all that, they loved this song. They were like that song's rad. I'm like, "No, man, that song that's not that's not the one. It wasn't the one. No, it wasn't for the me. One. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have a, a, a I struggle with that song. Do, um, how do you feel about it closing out the album? So you just you feel like it just leaves the album on just a sour note. I never even thought about it that much. I just every time it got there, I would literally just know. <laughs> You'd be like, and so. the record ends at Ice Cream Man and go. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Um, so, but I want to ask you this because this is in a sense, like I said, Diamond Dave's manifesto. Uh, you also have your own band, the special goodness. Oh, man, that's, that's been a while since I made any of that music. Well, what was the last thing you put out by them? I put, I think 2015, I, I threw something up on iTunes, just messing around, but I'm working on new stuff right now too. Oh, well, what are you working on now? Do you want to tell us about it? It's it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, no, I don't want to. I just want okay. to play it and hope people listen to it. All right. Well, when it comes out, we'll promote the shit out of it. Um, you want to do some facts and get out of here? You mean like facsimiles? Yeah, like like facts. Like facts, facts. Yeah, I right. love a facts. Um, facts and facts and facts, facts. I got to sing it. So give me a sec. Facts and facts and facts, facts. Gang, 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 gang. When Gene Simmons signed Van Halen to their production deal, he wanted them to change their name to Daddy Long Legs. I'm against Gene Simmons in every respect, except for his support of Van Halen and his business acumen. And Going Blind is a good song. So I give him props for that. I like King of the Nighttime World. King of the Nighttime World. I'm the king of the nighttime world. And you're my something queen. I'm a king. I'm a king. I'm a king. I Well, I like that song now. Here's what a, song? I've never heard that song. It's off a of destroyer. So sorry. Right, so listen, I completely think that Gene Simmons is kind of a hand job, but I mean I respect him. A huge respect. I for just sure. can't stand kiss. For sure, dude. But I there, that's the thing about why I love doing this podcast is because I had only known like I want to rock and roll all night and a couple other songs by Kiss. I did the, I did the podcast and I really dug into Destroyer, and it's the same shit I'm going through with Van Halen and talking to you. Is that the guest that I had on was such a huge fan that it rubbed off on me, and then I went to see Kiss at the Whiskey. Uh, which was so phenomenal for the first show you're ever going to see them in such a small, like, you know, just a, a real yeah. rock club. Yeah. And and I just became sure. a fan. I'm not like, dude, I'm not like, I don't own a Kiss condom or a Kiss coffin. I'm not, I don't have a Kiss anything. I don't kiss people, you know what I mean? Dude, all I think <laughs> of is my, my neighbor, we're in like fourth grade, he had the love gun. And he's like, 
Peter Chris is the best drummer in the world. And I'm like, have you heard Rush? <laughs> like this, this guy's the best drummer in the world. This is 2112. <laughs> 2112. All right. One of the greatest myths about Van Halen, which was actually true, was that their contract writer for shows demanded no brown M&Ms backstage. It sounds ridiculous, but it let them know if the promoters read the contract completely. If there were brown M&Ms, some other important safety precaution may have gotten overlooked. What's the most bizarre request in your tour riders? I mean, we're so vanilla, man. Like, like a, like an RX, like RX bars, you know. Oh, come so, on! <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That we we there's nothing weird. Okay, Weezer just plays the Staples Center, headlining. There's what like eighteen thousand people there, screaming. The show's over. You're riding that high. What is Patrick doing for the next two hours? Actually, that's I'll skip four hours. Four hours. You partying? You going home? I I will sip on some tequila now and again. I enjoy a, a Clase Azul or a uh, 1942 occasionally. And then I'll, I'll I'll reflect on the day oh. and uh, gently slumber. <laughs> oh, you, you go schluffy? That's what we call it. It's a Yiddish for sleep. Schluffy. <laughs> I love it. I'd say right. I schluff it up. Dude, you, oh, dude, I love, dude. As soon as this is over, I'm schluffing. Dude, I got a girl coming over. I might schluffy with her. I have no idea. It could happen. Who knows? I'm, I'm single, dude. When you're single, you can schluffy, as long as it's consensual. That's right. All right. Uh, Eddie's iconic red guitar with black and white stripes that he named Frankenstrat was self-modified from several different guitars to let him have the sound of a Gibson Les Paul with the feel of a Fender Stratocaster. Have you ever seen Frankenstrat? I have, actually, yeah. It's a mess. Uh, and I ruin my guitars in almost the exact same fashion. Good, good. But you're a, dr- but you're, but you're a drummer, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Come on, dude. It's, it's true. You, you can do whatever you want to do, guitar. You can, you know, get high on meth, take it apart, <laughs> and, like, put it back together, and then you got a, you got a Frankenstrat. The bride of Frankenstrat. It's true. Mind you. But he was obsessed with his tone. Yeah, it was all about the brown tone that I just learned about earlier. Mr. Um, brown Tone. <laughs> he's been fiddling with his last Paul. It sounds like a Stratocaster. He has got that brown tone. Brown, brown tone. Best part, ready? He's got a brown tone. Gang, gang. I could do the whole song. How did it feel to finally get out from behind the drum kit and strap on a guitar for most of the Ratitude tour, bro? I mean, it felt weird, to be honest, because Rivers didn't want to play guitar anymore. And I'm like, well, I'll play guitar. And Josh Freeze played drums, who I love. And I love hanging oh, out with Josh Freeze. Josh, Josh has been on the podcast. Oh, nice. He did Devo. He did, he did Devo, uh, We Are Not Men. I love it. Dude, I went to his house, met his pink-haired dogs. It was the best. Yeah, he's the best. He is the best. So, I, I mean, him and I were like 24-7 party people at that time. Sipping on tequila, going schluffy together. We... we- <laughs> <laughs> we we would have many chuckles. In fact, go on YouTube and look up Josh Freeze tries to tell Brian from Weezer a joke, and that's uh, what that's how we toured. It's oh. we can't stop laughing for eight minutes. I couldn't imagine being in the same room with the two of you guys because you both, like you said, it's like you keep that childish energy and that like love for life, and I think you both appreciate how blessed you both have been you know, in your respective careers. And it's just like when you, when you have that and it's every day is like, is just like Christmas. I mean, yes. <laughs> or Hanukkah. It's exactly Hanukkah. true. No, it's all, it's all true, man. It's, um, I feel super fortunate. I, I don't, I don't, I can't understand the, the super narcissistic, like dissatisfied performer. Like I don't, I don't, I can't, identify with it in any way but you know i guess you got to do it no i i think there is you know when i had success i never i was like so depressed when i had my tv show and it wasn't until a few years ago that i realized just how lucky that i am that i've had these opportunities even if like you have a tv show and it gets canceled it doesn't make a difference like i had one it's still it's boss man it's it's just and if you love what you do 
every day is is like is literally it's it's just it's a perfect day even on the bad ones you know i mean dave siddick is uh in tv on the radio and a great oh, I know a great producer yeah he says hey man we're we're here to disappear so just fucking enjoy it oh and i'm like yes that's exactly how i feel like I just, in fact, last night I watched Beach Bomb. Have you seen that movie with Matthew McConaughey? No, but I know what you're talking about. Same, it same it? exact thing. Like the whole fucking movie. He's just like, I'm living for right now. I don't care. I'm doing it for right now. Bam. Yeah. It was cool. What was the, what's the wildest uh, prank you've ever pulled while on tour? Do you a prankster? we're so uninteresting that way dude like like there's no brown m&m anecdote there's no uh, any of there's no sharks yeah if you like zeppelin and the shark story like yeah. there's none of that nothing what's the wildest not backstage moment you've ever had with weezer give me that there's got to be something it, it's a, it's okay i'll tell you it's a it's a toss-up between seeing in the same night Janine Garofalo and Claire Danes backstage. It was like, it was, it was like a, the electric tension between them. They were like, they had beef. No, they didn't even see, they didn't even see each other. It was just weird for me to see them both that night. I was like, what are you guys doing here? (laughs) In the the late nineties, like all kinds of comics would come to our shows and hang out in, in, in the backstage all the time. And I was always simultaneously frightened and perplexed (laughs) like why 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 are you here i don't know because i think i think it's because like weezer is this you know it's it's like it's like it's like elvis costello do you know what i mean it's intellectual rock it's like there's something about the lyrics or something about the music and there's also the way you guys look it's like you guys are just like it's like you're not if if you put you against tommy lee bro you know what i mean (laughs) bro i mean bruh bruh (laughs) <laughs> bruh you're you if you put you against him you know he looks exactly like a rock star which you think and then you look at you and you're like all right what is the assignment for monday because i need to study for this test you're gonna get right me. exactly yeah, it's not an I, insult I please don't back take that. that no it's not uh I, I do love tommy lee as a drummer though like he 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 just looks so fucking cool uh, when the crew is like doing their shit, it was rad. Yeah, but but you know you know he's got to go upside down and have fireworks at his drum set. You don't have to do that shit, bro. And like no carbs, like he's so he's skinny. so skinny. He's married to my ex girlfriend. Isn't that crazy? Whoa, it's crazy, dude. Crazy. I'm sorry, bro. No, it it's fine. Oh, it's fine. Trust me. I'm. It's no, dude. <laughs> he, let him have her. <laughs> he's, he can have her. It's fine. It's we were done. All, all respect to her. Like, trust me, I love the girl to death. But you know, when you can't, you can and you can't date somebody. And we got to a point where it was like, yeah, we shouldn't be dating. Fair enough. So, so date Tommy Lee. Yeah, it sounds date, healthy. D- sound. It was. It was so healthy. Oh, I came out of it such a better person. I grew uh, an inch. Um, no, this was great. <laughs> do, do you remember the general cinema theater thing before the movies? Like, yeah. That's what that reminds me of every time when they do the Bob Bada Shooby Doo Oz. Like, what's happening right now? How did it get all boogie woogie? Are we about to watch Misery with James Caan? <laughs> like, what is going on right here? That's a dark That's movie. Very, Why are you bringing up all these dark yeah, movies? You know, you know, this is this is my life, bro. I watch uh, as soon as this is over. I'm as soon as this is over. I'm putting on Sophie's Choice and then the Deer like Hunter mid mid midsummer and. Uh, Fucking human. What I like to do know? to prep myself for an interview with a, with a, with somebody I'm a huge fan is I watch Schindler's List right beforehand, and I remember yeah, just light, just a breezy summer just romp, a, you know. Just and then I watch I watch something with, with Sandra Bullock. Either way, it puts me in a good mood. But you know what put me in an even better mood, Patrick? This interview, bro. This was right this on, bro. Was, this was Bruh. this was so much fun, man. This was I can't thank you enough for coming on, dude. My pleasure. Ooh, wee, ooh, I got the drummer, Patrick Wilson. Guys, for all things Patrick, find him on social media at Weezer. It's really the band, but he doesn't have social media. Good for him. And check out Van Weezer. 
They have tracks that they've dropped on Spotify, and they're great, man. It's a really, really cool thing that they did. That's why I think I dig Weezer so much is because they honor the the musicians that inspired them and they keep putting out incredible music. So guys, go on Spotify and listen to Weezer. Now, we just listened to Van Halen from 1978. This week, our new music pick is Cruiser. They were submitted. That's what I love to hear. Cruiser is a rock band from Hartford County, Maryland. Oh my God, dude. Their influences range from the arena rock of Van Halen and ACDC to the old Delta Blues of Robert Johnson to R&B, funk, and everything in between. Check out their 2009 EP, Take You For A Ride, and you can find Spotify streaming links on our website, the500podcast.com. Also, they're huge fans of the podcast, so I just want to say to everybody in Cruiser, thank you guys for listening, and to everybody else, man. If you want your music featured on the 500 website, podcast, everything, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and put the album and artist that influence you in the subject line. Next week is the Go-Go's week as we go through their 1981 debut album, Beauty and the Beat. You've got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Doogle, doogle. Stay pleasing. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart. Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.